Um, the reading this morning is um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only for me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is God's word. Let me add my welcome. My name's Phil, I'm the Associate Minister, and it's my privilege to be preaching God's word to us this morning. Let's pray. Our Father God, we, we pray that you would open my lips to speak your truth and you would open our ears and our hearts that we might receive your word as it is, the words of the living God. Amen. So it's uh, Euro 2021 and England are in the final. I was always going to mention it, let's face it. Uh, England are in the final and a large part of the reason that we're in the final is because of the performances of Raheem Sterling. He's been man of the match in pretty much every single game we've played. This will be relevant. I'm not just going off on one because I'm happy. I promise you. Now, uh, he's been very, very effective. And I don't know what Gareth Southgate's game plan for tonight is, but I'm pretty sure they'll have watched the video analysis of every previous game. And as they've done so, they will have seen, wow, Raheem Sterling is incredibly effective. Look at what he does. Look at what he makes happen. Every time Raheem Sterling gets the ball, something happens. And so I suspect that whatever else Gareth Southgate has planned for tonight, a large part of what he'll tell the team is get the ball to Raheem. Use Raheem. I mean, look at what he's done. Now use him. That's the last time I'm mentioning the football, I promise. Now in chapter 3, Paul told us last week in chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, these words about the effect, the power, the impact of the word of God. You've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. And now in chapter 4, he basically says, look, given what you know about the power, the effectiveness, the usefulness of God's word, preach it, use it, make your life about delivering this word, because you know how powerful it is. These are five short verses. We're just looking at verses 1 to 5 this morning. And they split neatly into two. And each section is a command and a reason. And both of them are designed to tell the same thing, really. To tell Timothy and us, stick with gospel ministry. Stick with proclaiming Jesus from the Bible. Make your lives about 
teaching, preaching, and hearing, preaching from the Bible. That's what his big point is. Make your life about preaching and hearing preaching from the Bible. Now, to avoid the danger that an awful lot of us switch off at this point, thinking, okay, wonderfully relevant to the staff and to the interns, but as for me, um, time to get out the smartphone. Let me start with the application. Now, a passage like this, which is addressed to a minister telling him how to preach, it applies to us in three ways, all of us. Firstly, for those who are preachers and interns amongst us, do what it says. Very simple. Secondly, for the whole church. Now, it's interesting. This letter is to Timothy. It's written to one guy, Timothy. But it was written to Timothy to be read by the whole church. We know that because if, you've, uh, if you're able to look down at the very last verse, you'll see chapter 4, verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. All. In other words, the whole church is meant to hear this. The point being, you need to understand what kind of ministry to look for, what kind of ministry to encourage and pray for as you choose churches, as you get involved in church yourself. And then thirdly, more broadly, the truths about the Bible that undergird this passage, well, they're true for all of us. So whether you have the opportunity to teach your own children about Jesus or you're involved with Sunday school some weeks or you lead a midweek group sometimes or you're reading the Bible with a, with a friend who doesn't yet know Jesus. Whatever it is, there are lessons for all of us as we seek to share something about Jesus with other people. This encourages us, use the Bible. Use the Bible. This is the power of God. Use the Bible. Okay, so let's make our lives about teaching and hearing from the Bible. That's the big banner. Firstly, uh, preach the word because Jesus will soon appear. Preach the word because Jesus will soon appear. Now, there are three charges that the apostle Paul lays upon Timothy in First and Second Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5.21 and 6.14, and then here at the end of 2 Timothy. And this is, this is Paul's final charge. He knows, as we heard from the end of our reading, from verses 6 to 8, that he will soon die. And so this is his carefully chosen deathbed letter. This is, this is Paul saying, I want to ensure the gospel baton is faithfully passed on in the next generation. So this is what you really need to know. And the charge is preach the word. That really is the strap line for the first five verses. Preach the words. All the commands in here are, are effectively a restatement or an extrapolation of preach the word. But before he issues his command, Paul gives Timothy a reason. Verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. God is here now. Jesus will come back soon. That's the reason. Now, it is not complicated. It is not new, and it's not something Timothy didn't already know. But they're truths Timothy needs reminding of, and the same goes for you and me this morning. God is here with us now. Think about all the people whose opinion matters to you. 
all the eyes that you're aware of that watch you. All the people you want to smile and approve on your behavior. All the people whose presence has the power to impact, to change how you behave. Well, they should all fade in the light of this one glorious reality. God is with us now. Everywhere we are, God is there too. Everything we do, God is seeing it. Every single one of us, every single moment, God is with you. Now, almost always in the Bible, the truth of the presence of God is more than just he happens to be there. It's an encouragement. It is him here to help us, him here for us. So, for instance, in Isaiah 43, 1 to 2, God says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. It's not so much God with you to keep his eye on you. I'm watching you. It's God with you to strengthen and enable you. And so as Timothy faces challenges which are frankly beyond him from everything we've been told, as he suddenly faces the prospect of being all alone without the, the advice and the support of the great apostle to rely on, as he faces a life of ministry that he knows is going to be costly and hard, he doesn't need to feel overwhelmed for God is with him. And then secondly, Jesus will soon return to judge humanity and to bring in his kingdom in view of his appearing and his kingdom. That is, Jesus will soon come back and make everything right, everything restored, everything healed. All will be joy and peace and wholeness. Now, throughout 2 Timothy, we've seen there are lots of supposedly Christian leaders who've abandoned the truth the true faith of following Jesus. And they've done so because they found where you can be popular, you can even get wealthy if you'll just say what our culture wants to hear. The false teachers, they're willing to compromise for comfort. They're basically all about what I can get now out of supposedly serving God. But Paul says, look, don't worry about what you might miss out on in the here and now. If you... Stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will soon have the eternal reward of the God of the universe. Who cares what you could have got here, given what you will get then? God is here with us. It's the message of these first verses. Every moment of our lives, every place we go, and Jesus is coming back soon. Can you imagine how you would live if you could get those truths to move from things that we nod our heads to and, and intellectually assent to, to realities that's really felt true? To things that when we get up in the morning, when we go through the day, we actually were aware God is with me right now and Jesus might return at the end of this day, today. How might we live? Well, the particular application for Timothy, the particular thing he should do, comes in verse 2. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach 
the word. Timothy is to preach. Now, yes, there is more to being a minister than preaching, but there is not less. And notice it is not just, Timothy, communicate the gospel effectively in the culture you find yourself. It's Timothy, preach. Now, preaching is the authoritative proclamation of the message of Jesus from the Bible. That's, that's really a summary, if you like, the authoritative proclamation of the message of Jesus from the Bible. And preaching, therefore, reminds us, impresses on us, that this message of Jesus from the Bible is, is an authoritative pronouncement from God. Now, it is always the case when God's word comes to us, when we encounter God's word, it should engage us in three ways, our head, our heart, and our will, a three-legged stool of how we engage the Bible. In other words, our response will always involve our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions, head, heart, hands. Now, firstly, perhaps we engage with our hearts, particularly perhaps when we read the Bible on our own day-to-day devotionally. They'll all be true always, but perhaps particularly it engages our heart as, as we feed spiritually on our own, devotionally. Secondly, perhaps we particularly engage our minds. and We most clearly understand God's word is, uh, is a logical word as we meet in small groups and we wrestle with, uh, with the text and, and discuss and try to work out the, the logic, the meaning of it. But thirdly, it is preaching that most clearly impresses on us that God's word is an authoritative word to be obeyed. And I wonder if you recognize that this morning. That yes, God's word should stir your heart with love for him. Yes, God's word is there to be understood and analyzed, but it is also to be obeyed. To be obeyed. And note that it is the word that Timothy is to preach, not just any message about Jesus, but the word, the truth. The word faithfully entrusted by the living Lord Jesus to his apostles and then faithfully recorded in the words of scripture for us. And then Paul uh, fleshes out this central command to preach with four other commands, four imperatives. First, be prepared in season and out of season. Now, you can go too far with this, but his point is, To put it bluntly, the customer is not always right. (laughs) Um, Regardless of whether people are receptive or resistant, the job of the minister is to preach the word. It is always worth asking whether the resistance is because the preaching is boring, goes on too long, or is unintelligible or whatever. But the calling is to preach. And true preaching will always involve a, a mix of the next three commands to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, encouragement is usually warmly received, but I've never found correction and rebuke to be in season. (laughs) I'm not sure I can remember the last time I had an email saying, I really want to talk to you about the preaching at Christchurch Mayfair. I just, I don't feel like we're rebuked for sin enough. It's, uh, It's not a frequent email that arrives on a Monday morning. Now, the director of the Cornhill training course that our interns undertake on a Monday morning, uh, actually uh, throughout Monday, is uh, Nigel Stiles. Now, it is his privilege to preach and to train in preaching and Bible teaching uh, generations of young men and women who just lap up what he has to say. 
Every year they come back excited by all they've learned. Every year as he preaches to them, he finds they just want as much of it as he can give them. It's very much in season there. But when he was in Nottingham, he was in a church where a large faction decided they did not like the preaching of God's word. And as he stood up to preach on a Sunday morning, they would ostentatiously close their Bibles, slam them down, and turn away. So what did he do? He kept preaching the word. He preached it out of season as well as in season. And such preaching, such faithful preaching, requires great patience and careful instruction. This is a very important ending. It is so easy for courageous, authoritative declaration of God's truth to become hectoring, bullying even. To preach is to act as, in one sense, as God's mouthpiece. And the God who speaks the word of the Bible is a God of compassion as well as truth. A God of patience, a God of love. Preachers must remember that. Preach the word. Secondly, persevere with the gospel in spite of people's rejection. Now, in, these, in the second section, Timothy is really reminded that he needs this stirring charge, this, re, this reminder of God's presence and Jesus' return, because of the context in which he finds himself. Now, we've seen throughout to Timothy, if you've been with us, that there are false teachers who are damaging and corrupting the church and drawing people away from true faith in Jesus to follow them. Here, though, Paul doesn't focus at this point on the false teachers, but the false listeners, the congregations who encourage and enable them, to be honest. And the point of these verses is to encourage us to stick with hearing and teaching the gospel, even if we see lots of other people turn their backs on it. And so even if I didn't convince you the first couple of verses were really relevant for you, these are for all of us. Because all of us listen. And it's important, therefore, we understand what is said here. Verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn aside. They, um, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, whether you would call yourself a Christian or not here this morning, I guess you'd probably recognize that deep within every human being is a desire to connect with the divine, whatever we picture him, her, it as. To, it's the whole point really of Christianity, to give a true knowledge of God, a true experience, connection with God, an encounter with the living God. But the question always comes, are you ready for what an encounter with the living God actually involves? I'm going to put up on the screen in just a second a list of phrases from people in the Bible who encountered God. And I want you to see if you can spot which ones are genuinely from the Bible and which ones are fake. Here we go. God is just exactly like I imagined he would be. Stick up a hand if you think that's real. Secondly, it's amazing how convenient what he says is. Real? Third, wow. He agrees completely with the values of our culture and the desires of my heart. Fourth, 
It's great that he's not bothered what we believe about him, so long as we're really authentic in those beliefs. Okay, I'm being facetious. They're all fake. (laughs) To encounter God is unimaginably wonderful, but it is also almost unbearably challenging because he's not like me or you. He is infinitely greater, infinitely wiser, infinitely more good and pure and just. Let me show you what an encounter with the living God actually looks like from the end of the book of Job. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, I'll say no more. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the, um, the statisticians amongst us and the philosophers will say if this is really the case, but they say if you give an infinite number of chimpanzees, an infinite number of typewriters, then eventually one of them will type the complete works of Shakespeare. There's a very good Bob Newhart sketch about it. But anyway, maybe, maybe, maybe. But if you get an infinite number of human beings to say what we think God is like, if God hadn't revealed himself in the Bible and in Jesus Christ, none of us would come up with the truth about him. Do you know what the Bible's most frequent adjective for God is? Holy. And holy, the root of holy, the essential meaning of holy is unlike us. That's the Bible's basic description of God is not like me. And so if we want a genuine encounter with God, then we have to begin with him as he reveals himself in the Bible and humbly adapts ourselves and our thinking to his reality. And that's why every time we read the Bible, every time we hear the Bible preached, we'll find our thinking, our loving, our doing challenged because God's not like me. Sometimes it'll be a little tweak. Other times God calls us to a radical change of direction. But always, as you encounter the reality of God revealed in his word, it is we who must change. But, but as well as a desire to know God, there is also within each of us, certainly myself included, a desire to serve me. And so always I face the temptation to reverse the order of true faith. Rather than starting with God and his reality and changing my thinking, I'm tempted to start with what I want, what serves me, what I think God should be like. I start with things that will suit my desires, as verse 3 says. I start with what I would say if I was God. Because we've got far too high a view of ourselves, we humans. We tend to think, if there is a God, he's going to kind of be like me, but a bit bigger, a bit stronger, and a bit wiser. And here's great purpose will probably be to meet my needs and my wants and to make my life happy and comfortable. And then we encounter what the Bible says and find it doesn't fit with those desires. And so it's God's word that we ignore or alter. We won't put up with sound, that is healthy doctrine, verse 3. And instead, we find books, churches, online preachers who say what our itching ears want to hear, verse 3. What a phrase. It wasn't just a problem in Timothy's day. It's a problem in our day too. And it's not just a problem with those people out there who don't come to church. It's a problem in here in my heart. And even if you're committed to Jesus and you long to know him faithfully, there is a danger. 
because so often what he says doesn't quite fit with my desires. And also, also we see lots of other people just finding a way to change what the Bible seems to say. And we find ourselves thinking, I mean, that, it can't be wrong to believe that about God because lots of other people do. Uh, may, maybe I have been too narrow, too exclusive, too shallow in my thinking. I mean, I've lost the count of the number of times people have said to me, but they wouldn't sell that book in a Christian bookshop if it wasn't true. Don't be naive. As long as God's word says costly and inconvenient things, there will be books, sermons, YouTube talks, which appear to be Christian, but which tell us what we want to hear rather than what God really says. Which is why I will never, ever, ever be disappointed or annoyed if at the end of a sermon someone says, can you just, I just wasn't convinced that what you said quite fitted with what the passage meant. I will always be delighted to be challenged about that. And any genuine preacher of the gospel should be too. Because our desire at this church is that we teach what God says, not what I want. In verse 5, Paul turns his focus away from the false teachers to remind Timothy again of what true ministry involves. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Don't be unsettled by what's going on around you, Timothy. Don't be overly discouraged by the suffering that comes to those who, who faithfully serve God. Do the work of an evangelist, discharge all your duties. Discharge all your duties reminds, reminds us there is more to, to genuine ministry than just standing up and speaking. But the phrase that I think is most easy to misunderstand is probably do the work of an evangelist. Now, I guess if you've got any understanding of Christian things, if you're familiar with them, you imagine, okay, Timothy's being told, go and stand on the street, you know, Oxford Circus with a loud hailing, um, shouting to people to turn and repent, or maybe he's a bit more gentle than that, you know, but tell people who aren't Christians to believe in Jesus. Now, it might involve that. It does. But really, it's much broader. The word evangelist comes from gospel, saying do the work of a gospeler. The gospel is just the central message, the central truth of the Christian faith, the good news of the life, the death, the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings. But you see, that gospel message is, just, is not just for people who haven't yet put their trust in Jesus. It's how we Christians grow too. So the gospel is, is less like a vaccine that you take one or two doses and wait two weeks of it and then you don't need it again hopefully it's it's food that you eat every day you need it daily to be nourished and to grow see true christian growth is growing deeper into the gospel not moving on from the gospel to other things but being nourished by a deeper understanding of the gospel a richer understanding of its implications for life and so Timothy, to be a genuine gospel minister, needs to keep proclaiming the gospel. Everything he teaches needs to flow out of the gospel of the life, the death, the resurrection, and return of Jesus, the message of grace. Everything must connect to that. Everything must re relate to that, build from that. Look, as we close, broadly, this passage reminds us of the importance of the Bible. Broadly, it does. 
It's not the tightest application, but the most, at the broadest point, at the very least, this says the Bible matters. And it challenges me. I can't spend 10 minutes being shaped by God's word and then the rest of my day being shaped by Netflix, BBC, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, and expect that I'll have a rich, deep grasp of God's word and God's truth. We need to prioritize God's word. But there is a narrower, a tighter focus here in this passage. This isn't just a general passage about God's word. There is a focus on preaching here. And for all of us, it does say uh, we need to prioritize sitting under faithful Bible preaching, gospel-focused, Christ-exalted Bible preaching. It's not something you can compromise on if you're choosing a church. It's not something where you can say, look, my natural learning style is more discussion. That may be true. But even so, we need preaching. We all need to hear the word of God preached for all of us. For all of us too, it is a reminder not to be unsettled that lots of people won't put up with Bible preaching. It's been true for the last 2,000 years and it'll go on being true until Jesus returns. But that's no reason for you to give up on it. We must continue to build our lives on the word of God turning up weekly to hear the preaching of his word, whatever else I've got going on. Those of us in ministry must keep seeking to base our ministry on the preaching of God's word, no matter what others say, no matter what seems to work in our day, in our city. For some of us, it means literally keep preaching. That's what we've been called to do, and that's what we must get on with doing. But don't lose sight, any of us, of God's presence and Jesus' return. Don't be distracted by what others are doing. Don't be discouraged. Stick with the word of God. Preach it. Share it. Teach it. Hear it. Because if the church of Jesus Christ is to continue to stand and to grow for another generation, it needs men and women who are willing to listen weekly to the preaching of God's word and who are willing to stand up weekly to preach God's word. Nothing, nothing less will do. Let's pray. Our Father God, I thank you for the encouragement of a church where your preached word is greatly valued. I do pray that you would help all of us who are involved with preaching to remain faithful, to never give up. And I pray, Father, that you would bless the preaching of the word at this church and others. Please, would you build us up as you've promised you would. Please, would you give us a deep conviction of the power, the effectiveness, the usefulness of your word, that we might never turn from it or move on from it. And please, Father, would you give us a conviction in our lives that nothing is so important as to be grounded in and built upon your living word. For the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the building of your church, and for the good of your people, we pray. Amen.